request tonight to pray for when you see that card uh, to pick up the information sheet about us and to get an opportunity to get to know us a little bit better. And then we would really be honored if you would sign up to receive our prayer update and to uh, get that. And we try to be monthly with that and just have an opportunity to read a little bit about uh, God's work in our lives and to take just a minute to pray for us. We'd just be honored if you would do that. Now, what I want, I'm going to read two texts this morning, Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, and Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And as I read the texts, uh, I want you to pay attention to some things in the text. Not hard. Just think in terms of what's happening in the text. They're familiar passages, so it's good to slow down and just not let them kind of run across our minds. What's happening? What's going on in the text? And how are all of the people that the text talks about, how are they responding? So what's happening in the text and, what's, and how are the people responding? So the first text I'm going to read is Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. This is a text after the feeding of the 5,000, after weariness of ministry, and in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14, the Word of God says this, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Okay, so think again. What was going on? The people that were involved in this, how were they responding? Now, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, we often read um, verses 18 through 20, we seldom include verses 16 and 17, so I'm going to ask you to do the same thing as I read these verses, what's going on, how are people responding? Verse 16, you know this passage to be after the death and resurrection of Christ. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, so the same region, the same area of, from Matthew 14, to a mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So they went to him at an appointed time, in an appointed place, in his resurrected body they were to meet him. Verse 17, 
When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these texts of Scripture that are in front of us this morning. We thank you for uh, the examples of these disciples who followed their Savior even though they had times of doubt. And I pray as we look into your word this morning that you would help us, that you would encourage us in our own doubts to move toward Christ and to continue to trust him. Thank you. In your son's name, amen. Okay. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. Okay? Just stand up one more. I have a question for you. Okay? So rather than asking you to stand in response to the question, I'm going to let you stand or sit in response to the question. Okay? So, if you have never in your life had any doubts, or any hesitations in your walk with the Lord, you can sit down. Now, look around the room. I've had one person sit down. But anyway, not today, not here today. Look around the room. Look around the room. Okay, what's one thing we all share in common? Because I'm standing too. What's one, we have all been at places and at times in our lives where we've had doubts. Have a seat. So here, here's what's in front of us today. What's the heart of the Savior toward us in the middle of our doubts? What's the heart of the Savior toward us in the middle of our doubts? Now, before we move into the text, we have one little challenge we have to answer, okay? Uh, so, and I, I, I'm going to just walk us through this. You can stay right where you are in your Bibles, but let me walk through a challenge because maybe you're like me, and it's not these passages of Scripture you've thought about in your doubts, but it is another passage of scripture that you've thought about in your doubts, and that's James chapter 1. Listen as I read James chapter 1, and let's, let's talk about this so we can be sure that we can see how these passages fit together uh, before we move on to talk to ourselves through the word about uh, trusting in God in the midst of our doubts. James chapter 1 verse uh, 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, that's all of us, right? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. To God is. He gives generously, he doesn't scold, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways. So, what happened in, in Matthew chapter 14, in Matthew chapter 28, to disciples in the middle of their doubts? Christ moved toward them, Christ addressed their doubts, and kept using them. What does James chapter 1 say? Have you ever read James chapter 1? And as you read James chapter 1, verse 5, I lack wisdom. 
I know God's generous. I know God doesn't scold. I know he will give to me. But then you read verse 6 and you're like, oh, I'm toast. <laughs> this is not, I've got my doubts. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you what the key is to seeing the difference in these passages. The key is verse 8. Verse 8 defines the doubts that are spoken of in James chapter 1. The doubts that are spoken of in James chapter one is the double are the double mind is the double minded person. Excuse me, the person who at one moment heart and soul says I want to follow the Lord, and the next says I want my own mind, I want my own way, I want it my way. Then the next moment, oh no, I think I want what the Lord wants. Now I want my own way. Double minded, literally two souled, and that person moving their faith back and forth from Christ to their own way, from Christ to their own way, is double-minded. And Christ says of that person, that person won't receive anything from the Lord. I would suggest that even if that person did receive something from the Lord, they wouldn't recognize it, depending on whether they want Christ or want self in that moment. So there's a difference between the doubts of James chapter 1 and the doubts that we read about in Matthew and the difference is where the heart is set. And do a little study sometime on your own in Matthew chapter 1, do a little drill down with your, with your Bible software or your concordance or whatever, and you'll find out that there actually are two different words used in the language of the New Testament for the doubts of Matthew and the doubts of James. And the doubt of James has with it the idea of passing judgment over God. Passing, passing judgment, to trying to judge between what God wants, what he doesn't want. And so there's a, much, there's, a, there's a feet pointed away from a demandingness, a starting to turn away from, or at least moving back and forth in your faith in James chapter 1 that's not present in the book of Matthew. So, what does God want us to do? How does God want us to respond in the middle of our doubts? In the middle of our doubts, he wants us to continue to listen to him. In the middle of our doubts, he wants us to continue to, to seek to lean on him and not turn away from him. And in the middle of those kind of doubts, what's the heart of the Savior toward us? The heart of the Savior toward us is to rescue us in our doubts and to grow us in our times of doubts. Think of the texts we read this morning, Matthew chapter 14. So if you're in times of doubt, but you're still in time of doubt, but you're still leaning and moving in faith toward Christ, that's where Peter was. And think about how Christ responded. If if all that you think about is James chapter 1, where would Peter be today? He'd be at the bottom of the sea, right? You know, oh, well, Christ, you know, ah, help. Well, you know, Peter, too bad. Bon, 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 bon. <laughs> and, and think about Matthew chapter 28. So the these disciples had been with Christ his whole earthly ministry. They had seen the crucifixion. They had experienced and felt the hopelessness of seeing this person that they followed, that they thought was the Savior, die on the cross. And they had seen and experienced him in his resurrection. And now they're coming to a place that would have had a lot of memories. A lot of, lot of the ministry of Christ took place in this Galilee region. And so Christ has come to this mountain, 
come to this place at this time, and they come, and what do they do? They worship, and some of them bow. And, you know, good thing we're not Christ, but what would you, I mean, if you were Christ, and, and that was the responsive heart you knew, wouldn't you be tempted to say, really, guys? After all you've seen, after all you've experienced, why do you doubt? There are some commentators, actually, that look at this, look at the Matthew 28 passage and say there had to be more there than the 11 because surely the 11 couldn't have doubted. And I've read those commentaries, and I want to say to the authors, go look in the mirror. <laughs> really, really go look in the mirror. And what, what does God want us to do in the middle of our doubts? Well, it's, 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 it's challenging, but it's not unattainable. God wants us to be people who listen to our Savior in the midst of our doubts. To listen to the Savior in the midst of our, our, the uncertainties and doubts. You know in the midst of doubt and uncertainty, there's so much that comes at you, that's said to you, and there's a whole lot you say to yourself. And through the noise of all that's said to you in your doubts, through the noise that is, is all that you say to you in your doubts, it's hard sometimes to sort out and say, what, what is it that God wants me to hear in the middle of this? And God wants us to be people who listen to our Savior in the midst of our doubts. How do we do that? How do we do that? And I'm going to suggest to you that here in the Great Commission that's in front of us, Yes, indeed, there are commands here to be obeyed. We're going to talk about those. Commands to be obeyed to make disciples of all the nations. But that much of what Christ says to the disciples in the Great Commission is really encouraging them to keep leaning on him in their doubts. So how do we listen to our Savior? We listen to our Savior first by trusting his authority. Where does he start? Listen to this because... There are words that we talk about so often, it's easy to not think about this. The disciples are there. They worship. Some of them have their doubts. Christ's first words to them are not a scolding. Christ's first words to them are an affirmation of his authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. If those disciples, in the middle of their doubts in that moment in their doubts in the next moment, in the next moment, in the, their doubts later on in their life, would hold fast to the reality, listen to the words of Christ. He's the one who has all authority. And, and they had for sure seen that authority. They had seen him command the lame to walk. They had seen him show his authority over the demons. They had seen him by his words exercise wisdom over the authority of the teachers of that day and they had seen time and time again him exercise the authority entrusted to him by his father for his father's will they also had seen the effects of his authority on those who wanted him for their own means that when those who wanted to overthrow Rome at that point in time had seen his authority what did they want they wanted Christ to join their team, have his authority be their authority, so why? So they could accomplish their will in the middle of this. I mean, imagine if the leader of your army was a person who could create any supplies by speaking a word, 
feeding of the 5,000, could raise dead soldiers by commanding them to come to life again, you would, you would, you would win. <laughs> and the disciples saw a Savior who used his authority for the will of his Father and who desired for them to trust his authority and to go on and do the will of the Father. So when they come and worship and have doubts in the middle of their worship, that alone is actually encouraging, right? They were worshiping and doubting simultaneously. What's Christ say? Trust my authority. All authority has been entrusted to me They'd seen his authority exercised on earth. He knew that they were going to see him ascend into heaven. And what does he say? He's, he's saying words that help them to know and help them to remember and will help them to recall to heart that the same authority you saw me exercise on the earth is not absent now that I'm in heaven. That authority is certainly exercised in a different way now than it was exercised then. And it certainly will be exercised in a different way in the future when the Savior returns to rule from Jerusalem over the world. But even though the expressions of that authority are different at different times as God unfolds his plan and program, all authority has been entrusted permanently to Christ in heaven and earth. And in the middle of our doubts, one of the ways we listen to him is by trusting his authority. Our children, when they were younger, we, they had a tradition. All of the cousins went to Grandma and Grandpa Newman's house in Pella for the week of vacation Bible school. And they always had a great time together. And, you know, they had their cousin stuff too, but they had a great time together. One of the things that my daughter Johanna enjoyed most about that week every year was she got to be Grandma's helper. She was the oldest of the female cousins. And so she was the one who could help most first. And, and along with the being able to help came a certain measure of being entrusted with grandma's authority as well. And so she liked both serving and she liked the authority that sort of came along with that. And we sort of went through the same little cycle every year after the week at grandma's house because you come home and you may have been able to have a co-regency with grandma for the week, uh, but at home there's only one queen, <laughs> and it wasn't her. Uh, and you know, I, I had a lot of ponderings, a lot of perplexities about that little cycle every year. I don't have time to share all the lessons learned from that, uh, but uh, uh, think about it, okay? You know, you, you maybe have been in a place of authority at one time in your life, in a position of authority. You're not. You've had some people in authority over you that still are and that still aren't. There's this moving target of authorities in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, even just moving into different relationships and different focuses. We have different authorities in different contexts. In the middle of our doubts, there is an ultimate authority that we can trust, Right? And he was entrusted with that authority. He demonstrated that authority in tangible ways on the earth. He is exercising that authority now in a different way, and he will exercise that authority yet again in the future. In the middle of our doubts, in the middle of our doubts, how did Christ address the disciples? How does Christ address us? 
remind, he reminds them, he reminds us that he is a person who has all authority and we can trust him. What happens next, okay? What happens next? We listen to Christ by trusting his authority. We listen to Christ by obeying his commands. And again, I, I referenced this earlier, but think about this, okay? Disciples worshiping and doubting. And, you know, you, you think about how you might think this through if you were the one responsible to leave these guys in charge, so to speak. And, you know, you might at least be tempted to look at them and say, I think I need another plan here. <laughs> I'm not, after all we've been through, I'm not sure about this. So maybe, we, I, maybe I need to start over on this. But that's not what happens. And he also doesn't say to them, rid yourself of all your doubts and then go make disciples. Right? He, in the middle of their doubts, he gives them this commission. He gives them this responsibility. He gives them their command, these commands. And what's true in our lives, okay? In the middle of our doubts, all the things that we say to ourselves, all the things that we're tempted to believe about God based on our own understanding, many times lead us down the path of disobedience. Sometimes, or maybe more often, it leads us down the path of sort of this pause. Well, I really can't do that because I've got a doubt. I really can't do that because I've got a doubt. That's not what you see here. You see, in the very middle of their doubts, Christ saying, I've got a task for you. I've got a life-orienting task for you. And I want you to fulfill that task uh, in your response of faith to me. The central command that he gives to them is make disciples of all nations. And he breaks that out into these three sub-commands, if you will, uh, of how, what does this look like. And the first thing he says that this looks like is go. And, and you work your way through studying that out, and what Christ is saying there is, as you are going, as you live your life, make disciples. Let me say it a different way. What Christ is saying to them and he's saying to us is he wants to make, he wants us to make disciple making the orienting purpose of our relationships. If you will, he wants to make disciple making the lens through which we see life and relationships. Now, let's think about that. As you're going, make disciples. What's a part of making disciples? Well, certainly a part of making disciples is evangelism. Also, a part of making disciples is edification, right? That's where he goes in these commands. Take those who have believed, baptize them, have them identify, encourage them to identify themselves with the death and resurrection of Christ, with their new commitment to live that resurrection life out, to become a part of a local expression as body the church. And from there, what does edification look like? It, teaches, it looks like teaching to observe, knowing the truth and living the truth. Teach to observe for what purpose? All things that he's commanded them for the purpose of them being like Christ. So think about where he starts. Make disciple making the orienting purpose of your relationships. What's that look like? Well, one of the ways that looks like is considering every interaction we have with an unbeliever as a way to represent Christ in their lives. 
sometimes, and praise the Lord when it looks like this, sometimes this looks like opportunity to share the gospel. At other times, it looks like just giving a smile and a thank you, and this time of year, a Merry Christmas to the clerk at, you know, pick your favorite place, you know, so I don't name any, but at your favorite store, giving a smile to them when the three or four people before them were completely impatient because the lines are really long and we have to stay six feet apart and I hate wearing these stupid masks and all the other things that go along with this. And, and you never know what that does. Every interaction we have with an unbeliever, even those that are more distant, you know, the way you treat someone when they're going slow in front of you. Ooh, how did I, why did I say that? Uh, is a way to represent Christ to them. And knowing that that type of orienting of relationship doesn't have, doesn't stop among fellow believers. You know, we're, thank the Lord, that we're never all of God's work in another person's life, right? You can never bear that. But thank the Lord that he wants to use us to be a part of his work in one another's lives. And so when we see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ through this lens of disciple-making, disciple-making isn't just something that happens out there. It is, but it's also something that happens in here. And I start to think about every interaction I have with a fellow believer as how does this contribute to encouraging, helping them in their walk with Christ, even when we're not talking about Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, there's, thank the Lord we talk about Christ, but we don't have to be talking about him to represent him poorly or to represent him well. And this, this matter of making disciples ought to become the orienting purpose of our relationships. I'll be an anchor point for how do I respond to her? How do I respond to him? What do I say now? What do I do now? both in interactions in moments of time or extended time with unbelievers and with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. It ought to become the glasses through which we see one another. For those of you online, I'll be back in a minute. I left my illustration. Why is me and Trusty here? And it fell out somewhere. <laughs> That's okay, not a problem. This is my problem for not remembering it before. There's an amazing amount of stuff in there, <laughs> which is really wonderful because if you have a wife like I do and says, you have, and she does, isn't that great? Goodness. They're not in my pocket. Okay, well, this is not a problem. Maybe, maybe I just brought the case and not the glasses, okay? So that's okay. You can. That's right. Ah, that's how it works. Good. I am so sorry. Thank you very much. Oh, yes. She did read my mind, however, because when I started down this path, she's like, she gave me this look like, you didn't get those. Right? Anyway. Okay. So, uh, my, I grew up in a home uh, of parents who really do love the Lord now. Thank the Lord for him bringing them to himself and bringing me to himself through that. I also grew up in a home where my mom is blind. She was injured as a child and lost her eyesight. Uh, and my dad is legally blind, and he, his mom had a disease while she was carrying him and his twin brother, and my dad's vision is 2200. That didn't slow us down. I never got away with anything. People were like, 
man, that must have been great because you could have just done, no, it didn't work that way. Uh, and no time for those stories either. Uh, but I remember a time in childhood where we were doing a little bit of a bathroom remodel. And uh, more by virtue of just what we had for tools than being, you know, being old fashioned, uh, we were doing all of the bathroom remodel with the hand tools that we had. Uh, it was kind of laborious at times, and we were not the, uh, the quintessential do-it-yourselfers, and I was like junior high at the time. And there came to one particular part of the task that would have been a lot better, a lot more efficiently done, and a lot better in the end if we had a power saw. And my uncle is like the guy you'd want to help you with any problem you had in your house. And so my dad went to him and borrowed a power saw for this. And in the process of that, my mom realized we don't own any safety glasses and Jeff doesn't wear any glasses. And my dad said, you know, I think you should run the power saw and not me, which is probably a good choice. Um, and, and so my mom, through her mind's eye, uh, came up with a way to have my eyes be protected that she thought was a good idea, and that would be to wear a pair of my dad's glasses while I used the power saw. So these are an old pair. I didn't take the pair he uses now, but these are an old pair of my dad's glasses. Okay? So when I put these on, you are really just a sea of light and color. Okay? And I'm guessing my eyes are about three times bigger than they were before. So I understand why in my mom's mind's eye this looked like a good idea. But to my dad and to me, that did not look like a good idea. And so how do we, how do we pull that off? Well, I did, I did obey. I, I wore them on the end of my nose like this. You know, so I, I wore the glasses, we, we got the power saw done. I think now I use safety glasses. I get it, right? You certainly understand why a mom who could not see would be concerned about protecting her son's eyes uh, in the middle of things, okay? Now, let me suggest this. Whether you have to have any kind of corrective lenses or not for your physical sight, we're all wearing a pair of glasses relating to our spiritual sight. And it really isn't a matter of are we wearing them, but what are we wearing? And there's a big difference between physical blindness and areas of spiritual blindness. Physically blind people know it. I'm not, I'm not being disrespectful, and I've used this illustration in my parents' presence. Uh, no one, I've never had to look at my mom and say, Mom, you can't see. But I regularly need to have my own spiritual lenses corrected. Have someone look at me and say, oh, I think you're a little short-sighted there. I think you don't see there. And here, here's my encouragement. What, what do we do in our doubts? It's really easy in the middle of our doubts for us to have on the wrong pair of glasses. You know, oh, here's, here's how I think God is responding to me. Here's how I think God would want me to respond to him. And when you look into his word, he takes off the wrong glasses and he puts on the right glasses. No, you can still trust my authority in the middle of, of your doubts. In your doubts, don't take a pause. In your doubts, certainly don't come up with another plan and disobey me. No, in your doubts, what do you do? From your standing of being in Christ, obey me. From your standing of being in Christ, step forward, lean forward in obedience. And one of the significant ways of doing that is remembering that every relationship we have, we have this privilege and responsibility of disciple-making, becoming the lens through which we see those relationships. 
And if it's not the lens, what becomes the lens? We talked about this in Sunday school. What I want from you starts to orient the relationship, or what I think you want from me starts to orient the relationship. But we have a better pair of glasses to put on than that. What does God want for me in my privilege and responsibility of making disciples? So we listen to our Savior in the middle of our doubts by trusting his authority. We listen to our Savior in the middle of our doubts by obeying his commands. And we listen to our Savior in the middle of our doubts by resting in his promises. You notice how he takes these, this, these commands, that central command to make disciples and its other commands, and he bookends them with statements about his character that give hope. What's, how does he conclude this? He says, lo, which is another way of saying, slow down, look at me, listen to me, pay attention here, I'm going to say something important. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, you think about efficiency in saying that in English. He could have just ended by saying, I'm with you. Okay? So, in English, you could say that with a contraction, two other words, I'm with you. Three, three words, I'm with you. And he would have accomplished that. In, in Greek, it could have been said in three words, the language of the New Testament. The verb and the, the, the verb and the pronoun together and with you. But he says he uses more words to make a point that's a point we need to hear. And if you've ever learned a foreign language, there are some foreign languages that change how they spell the words in a way that shows what person and number they are, what tense they are, and all that. English doesn't do it does that occasionally, you know, have and had and those kind of things, but but many foreign languages do that with everything, every word. That's the way Greek is. And so when Christ speaks this in the language he was likely speaking it in, he says, slows down, look at me, listen to me. The low, that word is like communicating, I'm going to say something of utmost importance here. And then he says, I with you am. Because he didn't have to put the words in order by parts of speech. He could put them in order of emphasis because of how the words were spoken and spelled. So, I, thinking of himself, with you, thinking of the disciples, M. And then what does he say? Always. Well, that should have been enough, right? Always is always. I mean, why do you need to say more than always? But what does he say? Even to the end of the age. And the word end is built on the same word that he spoke on the cross, that it's finished. So Christ is picking words to say to his disciples that would emphasize what he wanted to emphasize and would have the opportunity to be planted in their memory. And that's what he's doing with us here. Listen to me. I am with you. I am with you always. Which means in the times of doubt, in the times of confidence, in the times of obedience, in the times of disobedience, I am with you always. And don't doubt the always because it's clear till this is all done. Clear till the plan of God is finished the way God intends it to be finished, I am with you. How do we listen to our Savior in our doubts? There's all kinds of places you can go to find rest in the middle of your doubts, right? I'm going to figure this out if it's the last thing I do. How does that work for you? 
Now there's a place to figure out the doubts and sort out the doubts, okay? Where do you try to find rest in the middle of your doubts? If only I could get someone to like understand this. If only for once I could just quiet that noise in my soul over all these doubts. How does that happen? You know, you, you find rest again in the promises of God. And again, notice what happens. Christ enters into this discussion with the doubting disciples by saying, I've got all authority in heaven and earth. You can trust that authority. And he ends it with, remember my promise and rest in my promise. And in the middle of that hope, there is fuel for fuel for the obedience. And think about what the presence of Christ meant to his disciples. We, we read of one occasion of Christ speaking and the stormy sea being calmed. Mark 4 carries another account of a different time where Christ is asleep in the boat. And what happens? He wakes up. They're imploring him. He speaks a word. And just like that, the storm is up. Think about the derecho in July. And you know, wouldn't have you liked to have said, stop? <laughs> and kaboom, no wind. And that's not how it worked. Christ's presence with the disciples produced peace in their life. And they could remember that. Provision, the feeding of the 5,000. This, this one is the one that captures my attention because I worked my way through college in a dining services context. And the one thing that you could be sure that irritated people was if you didn't have enough food. And I mean, it was, it was, it was scary. You, know, you may have had all the food, but not the one they wanted. Okay, you know, it's kind of, and so I, I think of the disciples. Okay, sit all these people down. I'm going to pray. We're going to create the expectation that they're going to be fed. And then we've got these few loaves and fishes. And I would have then said, okay, we're going to die with him. <laughs> and, what and, and what happened? These disciples are handing this out. And they gather up 12 baskets full when it's done. Provision. Peter and his denial. No, I don't know him. I don't know. I really don't know him. Christ looks at him. Peter weeps bitterly. Who pursues whom? Christ pursues Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the presence of Christ in Peter's life produced and brought him back, produced a purity in his life. It covered his shame. It commended and commanded his faith. And keep going. The presence of Christ in the life of the disciples meant what? Fill in the blank with things in your own life. The presence of Christ in your life has brought encouragement, challenge, peace in difficulty into your life. In the middle of the doubts, we have to know he's with us. We have to know and believe and rest in his promises in the midst of all of the chaos that's going around us. So God wants us to be people who listen to our Savior in the midst of our uncertainties and doubts. We listen to him by trusting his authority. We listen to him by obeying his commands. We listen to him by resting in his promises. And we know that in the midst of our doubts, when we continue to move toward him, when we continue to lean into him, when we continue to listen to him, what is his heart? Not what we say to ourselves, but what we see in his word. And the heart of our Savior is always to rescue us in our doubts and to grow us in the times of our doubts. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we are thankful that you have not left us to ourselves to make sense out of life that you recorded for us the beauty of the message of your Savior, the Son of God, his death and resurrection, his 
death in our place, his resurrection, so that by faith in his atonement in our place, we can have everlasting life. And then we're thankful that you as help us as believers to make enough sense out of our lives so that we can continue to follow you in faith. Help us to be people in the midst of our doubts who don't stop, who don't turn away from you, but continue to move toward you. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.